0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Man, I hope you've had a a very, very good day. I know I enjoyed a great day. Got to spend a little bit of time with my good friend, Mr. Dan Steele, who is one of the staff members here at the camp. If you haven't met him, he and I have been friends for a long, long time, back when he was your age we uh, first became friends, and so thank God for that time. But also, really enjoyed a special uh, little bit of time today when the uh, the adventure group invited me out. So thanks, Adventure Camp, for inviting me out to hang out with you guys today. So uh, I'm not a big heights kind of person, but um, they gave me they like pushed in a little bit of courage in my heart and soul, and I was able to get up on that uh, high ropes course today, which was fun. And then to uh, the young ladies from Adventure Camp, thank you for including me. Thanks for yanking me up there on the giant swing. And so uh, that was a lot of fun to uh, spend a little bit of time with you all today. So we're going to continue our our uh, storyline here of Isaiah 61, and so it would be great if we could pull that right up here. So comfort to the morning is our, our theme tonight, and it's the third kind of key phrase in this passage, and so that's going to be our springboard that's going to take us into a beautiful, this is what we're going to hear tonight, a story that Jesus told is probably one of my, maybe my very favorite story that he ever told. And so um, this is going to be the context for our understanding, a part of Isaiah 61 tonight, and it reads this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, remember sovereign Lord was the first night, that was the theme, that the great God of all creation has interest in you and me. That is a wild reality, that God, though he is outside of creation, he would interject himself into creation and show interest in each and every one of our lives. That is incredible to me. It says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim, and this is where we were last night, freedom for captives. And we learned this, that God, the great God of all creation, is still interested in me. And not just interested in me, but he wants to have a relationship with me. And the way to do that is that I find the only way to have a right relationship with God to be free... In that relationship with him, to not be a slave to old things like sin, to be free is to find myself yielded entirely, submitting my heart, my life to Jesus Christ. And we're going to continue to consider that tonight. And here, here's uh, what the text continues to say. And a release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And that's our focus, phrase, and thought tonight, to comfort All who mourn. Now, somebody throw your hand up if you could tell me this. Why do people mourn? Like, what does the word mourning, M-O-U-R-N, typically have connection to? What does it typically have connection to? You're mourning because what happened? Say it, yeah, say it nice and loud. Because what? Because somebody died. Somebody or someone close to you died. So he says the next phase of this, this joy that God is offering to people like you and me is to comfort us in our mourning. Comfort us when someone or something has, has died. Here's the big idea about our thought tonight, okay? The big idea is this. May God bless you, my young friend. <clears throat> so uh, this, is from, uh, this is our big idea. Good thought for tonight, okay? If you take away anything from our time tonight, I want you to remember this. God can produce a beautiful result From our broken lives. God can produce a beautiful result from our broken lives. And Jesus is going to tell us a story about a man who needed comforting from his mourning. And and like my friend back there told me, told us. People normally mourn or they grieve because someone has died. Someone close to them, someone important to them has lost their life. And so we are going to find ourselves in a story where there's mourning going on. There is a funeral going on. There is death that has taken place. But it's not the kind of death you would expect. In fact, strangely enough, here's what I think the point of what Jesus is going to try us, try to tell us through this story, okay? So if you'd like to jot thoughts down, here's an important thought to, to consider for tonight, okay? Not all death is physical, but not all death is final. That's the point that Jesus is going to help us learn and understand tonight. Not all death is physical death, but also not all death is final. So if you want comfort from mourning over loss and death, this story is going to help us find it, and it's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24, but we're going to read just a little bit at a time. Before, we read it, or before I read a portion of it, I want to ask you something, okay? You don't have, now, don't say anything right now, so this is one of those where you're just thinking in your head, definitely don't point at somebody next to you, and if the person is sitting next to you, do not tell them, okay? Just pray for them. Pray for them, all right? But who in your life is the most annoying person you know? Okay? Now, that didn't take long to think of, did it? No, no, no. Herc, you're already pointing. That's what I just said. No, I'm just playing. He ain't, he's just playing. He's just playing with this friend right there. Okay, so can you picture in your mind the most annoying person that you know? Uh, n- n- many years ago when I moved to Daytona and started working with a student ministry at a church, there was this young man, and, and I'll just tell you his first name, okay? His name was Luke. And, man, Luke, I wanted to love Luke. God gave me a heart and a desire to try to love Luke, but Luke was not easy to love. Luke was that mischievous little kid, he was always causing trouble, he was always, you know, telling, Luke was telling just enough of the truth to make sense, but just enough a lie to never be the truth. You know what I'm talking about? That's Luke, okay? That's that kid in my life. Luke always had a little mischievous side. He was always trying to pull something off. See, like, you guys are laughing up here like Beavis and Butthead or something like that because, you know why? Guys, like, that's me. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So that was Luke, okay? So Luke was my guy. I love this kid but man he was hard to love. And I remember I remember like trying to pour into this kid, trying to uh, like love on him, trying to teach him, trying to tell him, "Luke, you got to go the right way, man. Don't don't be Don't be filling your life with some truth and some lies. And always, Luke was up to some mischief as I was always trying to bail Luke out of trouble. And I remember calling out to God one time, just praying for Luke. And I was like, God, Luke is so aggravating, so frustrating. He's so difficult to deal with. And God, I don't think God speaks audibly like this. I think God speaks to us through his beautiful and precious word. But it was almost as if in the moment when I was praying to God, complaining to him about how much Luke bothered me and frustrated me, it was almost as if God gave me this impression through the thoughts of his word to say this. Yeah, and you're like you, Luke to me. So like everything that you think Luke is in your life, you are to me, but more. Because I know all of your heart, Michael. I know all of your stuff. I fully know you, but yet still fully love you. And I was reminded when I thought about Luke, and I still think about Luke to this day and every so often pray for him. He's, a, he's probably a 30-some-year-old young man right now. I still think about Luke and pray for him. And I remember to myself, everything that I thought Luke was frustrating in my life to me, I am and more to God. And he still loves me. So Jesus is about to tell us a story that is fascinatingly important. But here's the the thing about Jesus' story. We need to think about just for a second who Jesus is so we can really capture the gravity and the value of his story. So Jesus is who? Can somebody raise your hand and tell me something that is true about Jesus Christ? Somebody raise your hand and tell me something that is true about him. Yes, something true. He is our Savior. Tell me something else you know about him. He is? He is? He lived a perfect, sinless life, something that none of us accomplished, only he accomplished. What else do you know about him? He gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins in our place, the place we deserved, he took. These are great things because we're going to rehearse them and think about them again tomorrow night. What else, Caleb? He is the Son of God and God the Son. Jesus is not greater than God. He is not less than God. He is all that God is. John 1 describes that. Colossians 1 describes that, that everything that God is, Jesus Christ is, fully and completely. So he is equal. And that's an extremely important thought in this process. One more thought maybe. He rose from the dead. And you know what? There were a few other people that the Bible describes that rose from the dead, but you know what's unique about Jesus' resurrection? Jesus rose by his own power. Other people were risen from the dead, like they got raised. But Jesus rose himself from the dead because he proved his divine, perfect God person in that. So when Jesus comes lives his life, and he starts telling stories. The story that we're gonna hear tonight is a parable. The Bible describes it as a parable. And a parable is simply this, using earthly um, situations to help us understand heavenly concepts. So Jesus is gonna tell a story that we can all relate to so that we can understand realities about heaven, about God and his relationship to us. So remember something. The storyteller tonight is not me through this book, the, story, the original storyteller here is God himself. So when you hear this story, you are going to hear the heart of God for you and me. This is uh, Luke chapter five. We'll just read a couple verses, verses 11 through 13. We'll start there. And it says this. And Jesus said, this is his story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them not many days later, the younger so gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, so this is the beginning of our story, okay? You got a, a dad. He's got two sons. This dad has probably done well for himself. He's, he's, he's built up a, a nice little um, uh, estate. He's probably got a nice, beautiful farmland outside of the main city, got a kind of a hillside, countryside, lots of flocks and herds. He's got... Um, Fields where he is—he's uh, taken care of. He's probably got servants and uh, people that are under his care that he that work for him. This man has got it together, and he's made himself a good life. And there's two sons he's got: the older and the younger son. In an inheritance, the older son gets twice as much in the Bible days, and the reason for that was because if his father died, his job was to take care of the family. So the younger son gets half as much as his older brother. And here's what, here's what this, um, this, dad, th- this young man comes and says to his father. He says, Dad, I want you to give me my share of the inheritance. What is he saying to his dad? L- well, let me ask you a simpler question. When do you get your inheritance from your parents? When do you get your inheritance? When, when, when your parents die. And so you know what? You know what this young son was saying to his father? He's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so that I didn't have to deal with you anymore and I got to do what I want and go where I want and have the life that I want. Dad, that's what I would b- most want. Give me my inheritance now because I would just assume that you would be dead. And here's the first of three thoughts that I want to consider in this story Jesus is telling us Sin burns bridges. Man, when we have relationships and we have closeness and we have love in our lives in certain ways, when we choose to go away from God's plan and God's beautiful path in our lives, it burns the bridges of relationships in our lives. This young man throughout there, I mean, he started this story. Jesus was not messing around. He started this story with a huge, huge bomb. A young man wanting one day to get a great inheritance but not being patient for it, And not wanting his father around to tell him what to do anymore says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. And then the Bible says in verse 13 that not many days later, he took his inheritance and he went off to a far country. Now, his inheritance wasn't a bank account. His dad didn't hand him over 12 numbers and say, okay, just go down to the bank, tell them these 12 numbers, and they'll just give you a bunch of cash. It didn't work like that. It was like, okay, well, son, um, I got two sons, so the older one gets two, two-thirds of everything. So you get one-third of my fields. You get one-third of my cattle. You get one-third of um, my, uh, my belongings. You get one-third of these inheritances, but that's what you get. And then the Bible says, not many days later, he took what he had and he left. Now, how do you turn fields and cows and horses into money in just a few days? The answer is you, you sell it. That's right. So a year ago, my family and I moved from Daytona Beach to Sarasota Beach, Florida, which is just across the state of Florida to serve at a different church. And before we left, we had to have a yard sale. And uh, have, you, have you all ever had a yard sale? Your parents ever had a yard sale? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. So a yard sale is basically you take all your junk that you don't want and you put it out in your yard or in your, on your... Uh, driveway, and then c- people come along who want your junk, and you're like, okay, let's make a deal. All right, so that's what a yard sale is. So my, somebody had given me this watch. It was, a, it was a really nice brand of watch, but I don't wear watches. I don't, I don't care to. So somebody gave me this really nice watch that I'd never worn. I knew it was kind of valuable, but we decided, you know, this is the kind of stuff we want to get rid of. So um, I stuck it out there in the yard sale. We put 10 bucks on it, this guy comes along, it's not even out of its package yet. This guy comes along, and he goes, uh, How much for the watch? Uh, I'll give. You know how people at a yard sale, they don't want to give you the full price even though you're basically giving stuff away. And so he goes, I'll give you five bucks for it. And we're like, oh, We don't want to keep this stuff, we want to get rid of it. So we gave it to him for five dollars. But then later I got curious and I was like, Man, I wonder how much that watch was worth. So I get online, get online and start Googling it on eBay and stuff like that. And I find that the low end value of this watch would be like 250 bucks up to a thousand. And I was thinking, I am an idiot. I just gave that watch away to a guy for $5 because I was in a hurry to move across the state and I didn't wanna keep all my stuff. I wanted to get rid of it and so it would make it easier to move. And so in my haste, I undervalued this watch hugely and lost a ton of money. This is what this son would have had to do. He would have had to take all of his, this inheritance. He would have had to sell it really quick. And the only way you're going to get cash for something really quick, you're going to take it down to the pawn shop. You're going, to put it in your, um, you're going to put it in your yard sale. You're going to have to sell it cheap and in a hurry. So he does not get nearly the value of his inheritance because he's in such a hurry to get out from under his, his father's rule that he's like, I got to get out of here. This is exactly the fool that Jesus described. Jesus described in this young man... Probably the most foolish, the most reckless, the most wasteful, the most selfish sinner that he had ever described in any one of his stories. And here's what he was showing right off the bat from this story. Sin burns bridges. And this young man, he, 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 in verse 13 it says, he sold all of this stuff and then he went off to another land and squandered his property in reckless living. You know what the modern, if, if this was a modern translation, you know what it would say? He went and partied hard, okay? He got his money, what little bit he could from his inheritance, and then he went off as quickly as he could so he could get out from under his parents' rule and authority, and he went and partied hard. And he didn't think or care about what his partying would cost him. He didn't think or care about how much money he was spending. He didn't think, well, wait a second, I got to have some money for two months from now and a year from now and five years from now. He just thought, man, this is too much fun and everybody around me is loving this. And so I'm by, here, round on me. How about everybody gets whatever they want because we're all enjoying this party. Look how much everybody likes me when I spend all this money on them. And the Bible says he squandered. Squandered means he wasted all of his inheritance in reckless living. And then here's what happened secondly, verses 14 through 19. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him him into the fields to feed pigs. How embarrassing. And he was longing. Remember, his dad was a wealthy man. He was the second in command, third in command behind his older brother in his dad's inheritance. He could have stayed there and enjoyed all the privilege, all the blessings, all the benefits of that. But he went there and squandered it. So now he had to go and, and feed pigs for a living. And listen to how bad it got. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He was starving. And he was thinking, man, the pigs' dinner looks pretty good tonight. That's how bad it was for this man. But when he came to himself, meaning he had a moment of like an epiphany, wait a second. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll do this. I'll arise, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And here's what we learn from the second segment of this beautiful story that Jesus told us. The end of ourselves is often the beginning of God. The end of ourselves is often the beginning of God. Did you catch that uh, at the beginning of this second little segment, after he squandered all of his inheritance, had no money left, remember what it said happened in the land? There was a what? Does anybody catch it? It was a famine. Good, you're listening well. Thank you so much for that. Thank God for that. There was a famine in the land. Let me just throw something out here to you, okay? Famines happen because what is there not enough of? Ra- uh, food, or and how do you get how do you produce food? Because you need water, rain like you need sun, you need rain, and you need a good mixture of it. And there's a, a few other things that you need, right? So, the reason a famine happens is because of an act of God. So, here's the point I want to bring out, okay? God made this happen <laughs> in this land. So you got a a young man running from his father, running to do whatever he wants, squandering his father's inheritance, wasting everything, a reckless, selfish, crazy young man who has no thought of the future. And what does God do? He brings him to the very, very end of himself. And then after he gets to the end of himself, he's got no more money. Then he applies even deeper pressure by putting a famine in that land. Now, here's something I I just want to propose to you, and I hope you'll stick with me and think about this for just a moment because I believe if you catch this, it will help you re-understand a right thinking about God, and it will help you when you go through some of the most difficult times in your life. Okay, Here's the point that I believe Jesus is making to us. It is a kindness of God when he brings difficult circumstances in your life that bring you to an end of yourself and back to him. Can I repeat that? It is a kindness of God when he brings difficult circumstances into your life that bring you to an end of yourself and back to him. That is God's goodness to you, friend. Because the worst place you can be, the worst place you and I could possibly exist, ready for this, is healthy, wealthy, powerful, popular, influential, and away from God. There could be no worse place for you because in that place, you think everything is working out for you and you think you have done it for yourself and I think I have accomplished this on my own. But God, when we run from him out of a love for us, he brings us to an end of ourselves. When God brings you low, God brings you near to him. So a famine comes in this land And this young man has nothing to do. He has no help, no hope, no ideas, no no, no response to this. So he finds somebody that will hire him feeding pigs. This is the lowest of the lowest jobs. He's out there sleeping with, feeding pigs, and even to the point where he would envy their meal, thinking, man, I wish I just had something to eat. He was starving. His life was on the brink. But here's here's what Jesus was teaching us. When we come to the very end of ourselves, we got nothing else, no other resources, no other help to offer. The end of ourselves is often the beginning of God. Because look what it says here in the middle of this text. It says, verse 17, but when he came to himself, he had a revelation. He's like, wait a second. I don't have to live like this. I don't have to stay in this place where I have this terrible bed of foolish, selfish, crazy decisions that I've made. I don't have to stay here. Back back at home, I was my dad's son. But even if I wasn't his son, like his servants... His servants have wonderful places to sleep. They feel comfortable. They're at ease. They have three meals a day. They have everything that they need. They're treated well. My father is loving and kind, even to his servants. How many of my dad's servants have it way better than I do? I'll just go back to him. I'll go back to him and say, hey, dad, I was your son. But I know that when I said to you, I wish you were dead, and then I left, I know what you did, Dad. I know what you did. You called my relatives. You called my friends. You called the community. You called the people down in the town, and you brought them all out to our house, and you had a funeral for me. His father would have had a funeral service for this son because he had said, I wish you were dead to me, Dad, and so he, in return, would say, my son is dead. But not all death is physical death, is it? His son was not physically dead. He was still alive. But where he had died is he had died in his relationship to his father. It was a good relationship. It was one that worked. It was one that there was an inheritance coming, one that he could enjoy for all the rest of his days. But he squandered it and said, Dad, I want to be dead to you and you dead to me. Not all death is physical death. And he came to his senses and thought, you know what? Maybe my dad won't take me back as a son, but how about just as a servant? When God brings you low, God brings you near. In verse 18 and 19, he rehearsed a speech that he was going to share with his dad. He had this idea. This is what I'm going to tell my dad when I get there. And he said this in his speech. He said, I've sinned against you, Dad. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me as a servant. You know what Jesus was teaching us? When we've gone to a faraway place in our sins, away from God and away from a relationship with him, and we want to return, there is a prerequisite. There's something that needs to be dealt with first. And what we need to deal with is why we got lost in the first place. Because the decisions of this son's sins and distance from his father caused him to need to repent, to ask his father for forgiveness. Repentance is simply this. Repentance is when you confess to God what you have done and you agree with God what you deserve and you ask God for mercy instead. Repentance is when you confess to God what you've done and you agree with God what you deserve, but you ask God for mercy instead. And here's the third thought and the final one. It's in verses 20 to 24. And we'll read this uh, last account, the finish of this story. And so this young man thought about this. He came to his senses. He thought, I'm going to go back to my dad and ask to be a servant. So verse 20 says, so he arose, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, just remember the speech that he rehearsed? Now he's going to go for it. Here's his dad. He goes, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But instead of the father saying, you got that right, son, you're a miserable failure. All this garbage that you've done, you embarrassed me. All my friends, we had a funeral for you. You might as well be dead because this is embarrassing. I can't resurrect you back into this family. I've already given you your inheritance. There's nothing left for you, son. You get nothing, the Willy Wonka line. You get nothing, right? He didn't say any of that. The father didn't say any of that. Here's what he said instead. He said, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. They were gonna have a feast, a party and let us eat and celebrate because listen. Here's here's the key phrase I th- said at the beginning. Here's where I find this in this passage of scripture: "For this, my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found." Here's the third and last thought to consider, just for a few minutes. There is no far that's too far. Okay, hear me, friend. With you and God, there is no far that is too far. You see what happened in this story? So like you probably got this little town in a valley and his father's kind of like um, all of his land and all of his um, uh, farm and all of his accomplishments would have been kind of up on the hillside because he was probably a wealthy man, so he wouldn't have lived in town. And probably when the san- son said, I wish you were dead to me, he walked off uh, away from his father's village, or sorry, away from his father's Um, farm and down through the village and off to a foreign land where he was going to squander and waste everything that he had. And so you know what would have had to happen? You know what mentally would have had to happen in the son's mind? He's thinking when he's over here feeding these pigs, if I go back to my father and just ask him to be a servant, if I humble myself, because otherwise I'm going to starve to death. If I go back there, I got to walk through that town where all my friends are, where all the people who know me, all the people who know what I've done, all the people who who went to my funeral and cried for me because I was dead to my father and dead to my family. I gotta go and endure all of that embarrassment and humiliation and shame and disappointment. But he says, that's the only way I'm gonna survive this. So he begins the long, humiliating journey back to his father. But what does the Bible say? Now remember, who's telling this story? Jesus, who is God. This is the heart of God for you and me, my friend, and this is what I hope you will see, okay? There is no far that is too far for God. So he starts walking back, and he's rehearsing this this speech of repentance and asking God for forgiveness, his father for forgiveness when he arrives. But instead of him having to walk that walk of shame down through the town and through all these people back up the hill, humiliated in front of all the servants, in front of his older brother and his father. What does the, what does the dad do? The Bible says that, Bible says he was watching for him. Like he had his binoculars out and he's looking, when will my son return? So even though he had mourned the loss of the relationship, not all death is physical death, is it? What the father understood is that the death that his son had died was a spiritual death, a relationship death broken between him and that son. But he hadn't given up hope, and he kept watching and looking for his son. And when he was a long way off, the Bible says very specifically, the father ran to him. Ran to him. Now, let's, you got to consider something with me, okay? Back in the Bible days... Men wore robes, okay? They were like a toga, a long toga like this. So to run, he would have had to gather that all up, put it up tight to him, and kind of hum- humiliate himself and embarrass himself to run to his son. That's the only way he's gonna get there. He had to embarrass himself to run. And by the way, he's the master of the house. He's got servants. He's got people who work for him. If he needed something done, hey, run and go get me a sweet tea. Run and go take care of my cattle. Hey, run and go, do- he, was the, he was the leader, He didn't run for anything, but he ran for his son because he was proving the point to you and to me, God speaking to us, proving this point, there is no far that is too far. He ran to his son and took all the embarrassment that his son deserved, and instead of the son having to take that walk of shame, the father took that walk of shame. And when he arrived at his son, the son gives the story. I, I don't belong. I don't deserve to be your son. I don't belong. Just make me, just make me a, a servant. And he, it's almost as if he ignored the words. Now, he heard them, but the response was back to his servants and said, hey, let's celebrate with a feast. And given the best robe, and by the way, who, who, who had the best robe? Who, who owned the best robe in the house? The father did. So take these scrappy, dirty, old rags off of my son, all of his Shame and guilt and disappointments and sin. Take that off him and put on him the best and beautiful and most excellent robe, which was the Father's. And then he said, Give him a ring, and the ring would have been a symbol of the seal of confidence that there is no way he can lose the position that he deserves. This is sealed and final. And then he gave him shoes. He said, Give him the shoes that are off his feet because those are worn out and everything, the shoes that he's wearing, you know what they represent? He has lost everything. He is helpless and hopeless. Give him the shoes to let him know and let everyone know that everything he has lost, I have restored to him and more. There is no far, my young friend, that is too far. And here's how we feel. And this is what I'll finish with tonight. Here's how we feel. When we wander our lives into a broken relationship from God the Father, and we wander off into all our pursuits and all our desires and all of our pleasures, and we sit in the middle of that, you know what we think to ourselves? Man, the light at the end of this tunnel is so far away. I can't even imagine what I would have to do to climb my way out of it and figure out how I could make up for all this stuff that I have done. And you know what Jesus's point in this story is? There is no far that is too far. You don't have to climb back out. You just have to turn around. You just have to reposition your heart instead of chasing all those things that you loved and desired. Turn and back to the Father in faith and repentance. Ask him for forgiveness. We're gonna, we're gonna highlight this and finish it up tomorrow night. But I love what verse 24 said. This, my son, was dead because not all death is physical, but he is alive again because not all death is final. Let's pray, okay? Father, thank you for these young men and women. Thank you for the way that they attend their hearts to your word. And thank you for the excellent, perfect illustration that you gave us through your perfect son, Jesus, of how we are in need to be made right again with you, Father. And you would be willing to make us right through your love and grace. We love you for that and thank you. Thank you for the attention of these young men and women. Lord, bless them for their interest and hunger and desire over your truth. May you be glorified and may it be for our eternal good. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you guys. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.